1: All right, here we, so, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Blessed, blessed greetings and love. Welcome to Bob Radio. We're talking to Andy Bassford out in New York. How you doing, Andy?
0: I'm I'm doing good, Carlos. Uh, hello to everybody out there at Bob Radio. Yeah, man. It's that it's that time of year. It's Bob's birthday, and it's uh, time to remember.
1: Definitely a time to remember, all right? Now, Andy Basford is a legendary guitar player. He just released an album called The Harder of They Strum, but Andy has a deep and rich history in reggae music. Number one, as being a white guy involved heavily in the roots music way, way back then. I mean, hey, what's going on? Tell, tell us a little bit about your history. How, how did you get involved in the music? What's going on?
0: Okay, uh, well... I'm, I'm from Hartford, and I grew up in a little town outside of Hartford. I mean, I was born in Hartford. All right. And I played violin and viola and orchestra, and then I saw B.B. King on TV when I was 13 and decided I wanted to play the guitar. And then there wasn't anybody around who wanted to play blues, so I ended up getting into, you know, bluesy rock stuff and played in bands in high school and college and so on. Right on. And then when I went to college, the, uh, they had a movie theater there and they had new movies every uh, twice a week and my freshman year the harder they come showed up as a as an import movie okay And in America in 1973 unless you were a Jamaican or you were incredibly hip you didn't know anything about reggae you didn't know that it existed Of
1: course not and, Of course
0: not <laughs> And the, this whole thing was you know was just revelatory I had no idea.
1: Right, right, right.
0: the music existed or anything else, I knew Jamaica was an island, but I thought they had, had Calypso or like Harry Belafonte. You know, my mom had a Harry Belafonte record. Yeah, Banana Boatman kind, kind of stuff. About, uh, right, right. Matilda was on and Waterboy and those kind of things. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I have the record, too. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. So, <laughs> so, Going from Harry Belafonte to The Heart of They Come was kind of a leap. Big time. But... I I loved the movie, and I particularly fell in love with Twits and the Maytals singing Sweet and Dandy, okay. and that just really lit a fuse under me. So, of course, uh, I'm, I'm still there, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, of course, when the when the album came out, I bought it, and I took it home to the dorm, and I tried to play it, and I realized I couldn't play the stuff, even though I could hear what the chords were. So then I got real interested. Okay. You know, so you I, the that, challenge the challenge was on. Right. What do you mean I can't play this? I can play jazz. How come I can't play this stuff? So, right. Very cool. So I got real into it. And then uh, shortly, a couple of years later, I found out that there were A, Jamaicans in Hartford, which was a very ra- very racially divided city at that point. Okay. And I I knew there were black people and they were on the other side of town, but I didn't realize that they were they were Jamaicans. You know, we didn't We were stupid. We didn't know.
1: I I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying.
0: We, we, you know, we, it was kind of monolithic black people. You know, we were very ignorant. So, um, so I realized that there, um, that there were Jamaicans in Hartford and they had record shops and that you could buy reggae records there. So I eventually screwed up my courage and went over there to one of the shops and the owner took an interest in me and befriended me. And I bought a lot of records for him and I'd bring them back to the dorm and play them and everybody would go, What are you doing? What is this stuff? You know, we uh-huh. want to listen to New Orchestra. <laughs> and
2: like, and Ravi Shankar. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> right, you know, right. Or um who else is big then? You know, the um right. Well Elton John you know, the,
1: and the Stones a-
0: Carol King, you know, like all those other things and which are which are fine, you know, nothing wrong with them. Yeah. And I was playing in rock bands and stuff, but I had this peculiar interest in this strange music that nobody else seemed to care about very much, unless they were Jamaican. Yeah. So, um, right as I was graduating college, I went to the shop with one of my friends, who was curious about this place that I was going and spending my money at. And the owner said, you know, I'm putting on a show, and um, I have a band here to back Marcia Griffiths, but I need a guitar player would you like to audition? You know, by this time he'd found out that I was a guitar player and so on. Sure, 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 yeah. So I, so I was going to say, no, I'm not ready. And my friend piped in and said, no, he plays this stuff all the time. He'd be great for it. <laughs> and so I was stuck. I had to go audition. I auditioned for the gig. I got the gig. Right. And the guys in the band were so friendly and welcoming. And... I just hit it off with them, and after I graduated college, you know, that was just what I was going to do. I was going to play in a reggae band. I hadn't figured out how I was going to pay the bills doing that, but I, you know, my mission was clear. <laughs> yeah,
1: you so, were set. You were bit. You were gone.
0: Was, right. So I was playing with these guys, and there were, there were no Americans in 1976, this was. Mm-hmm. There might have been people in New York who were doing it, but certainly nobody in Hartford was doing it. Nobody I knew was doing it. All right. And, um... So I played with these guys for a while, and then... uh, They were were
1: called the Venturians, right?
0: Yes, yes, the Mighty Venturians, the rhythm masters of the now sound. That was our tag phrase.
1: Oh, wow, wow, very cool, very cool, very (laughs) cool, very cool.
0: Um, We played a mixture of reggae and R&B and Calypso, which was then starting to be called Soka, and then ballads like Wonderland by Night and things like that. which was kind of what the Jamaican audience in Hartford wanted to hear a mixture of things, kind of like what um, Byron Lee would have done at the time. All right. But not nearly as as well executed. We weren't very good. (laughs) But anyway, um, Horace Andy was living in Hartford and he came by the the rehearsal and he was going to use the band on a record. And he decided I was the only one he wanted to use on the record. So he, he asked me to go play, play a session with him and, uh, I had no idea how the music business worked, and I thought it was strange that somebody would be asking me to make a record, and I wasn't in the band. But that is uh, an amazing anyway,
1: story. Horace Andy asked you to go down to uh, New York to record. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, uh, we recorded at A and R, and I was one of these guys that always read read the liner notes. So I was uh, when I found out it was A and R, I was terrified, and I walked in there, and the engineer was saying something. Yeah, Kiss was in here the night before, and I'm going, Oh, oh wait my a God! What? Wow. I'm playing in the same studio as Kiss. I mean, I've never been in a studio before, so...
1: Amazing, uh, amazing. Anyway,
0: we recorded in the light. Seven songs were done in New York, three were done in Jamaica, and it turned out to be one of his most popular albums. And then the dub amazing. album from that was one of the very first King Jammy dub albums, and that became popular. And in the meantime, I had left the reggae band, I was playing sort of top 40 rock and roll because there was more money. All right. And... Much to my regret, I left these guys, you know, but they, they understood. And I stayed in contact with everybody. All right. And so I played around Hartford for a couple of years, but I still would go to the record shops and the West Indian Club to see shows. And very I kept cool. you know, my contacts in the community. Very
1: cool, so very cool. So in 1980,
0: I decided I w- I'm going to move to uh, New York because Hartford is, you know, the, the small time and I want to be big time. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> I'm... I'm I, moved to, I, I go to New York, and I go to Island Records, because the only person I know in New York in the music business is Lister, Hugh, and Lowe at Island Records. And long story short, I come in there and don't have an appointment, and Max Romeo sets his uh, royalty statement on fire, so I get an appointment. <laughs> so it'll all be explained in the book. And,
1: uh, all right.
0: Uh, Lister, Hugh, and Lowe, who is the A&R guy, said, can you find Horace for me? And I said, Sure. He he said, I want to make a record with him. So uh, Horace said, you want to come with me to Jamaica to make this record for Lister? And I said, sure. Wow. I'd always dreamed of going, but I had no idea how to get there. And all the Jamaicans I knew were quite happy being in America. So (laughs) it it didn't really, uh, I just couldn't figure out, it was hard enough for me to figure out how to get to New York, let alone to get to Jamaica. Right on. And Hart was very provincial then, you know. So, uh, anyway, we went down in uh, July of nineteen, June or July, July fifteenth, nineteen eighty, and we came off the plane. And of course, Jamaica is in the middle of the worst election in its history, and people are shooting each other, and uh, all these horrible things are happening. And I'm thinking everybody's going to be like these lovely guys in the mighty Venturians. And get up of <laughs> helicopters. <laughs> people died in West Kingston last night. And I go, what have I got myself into? So after three weeks of this, uh, Horace had enough and, and went back. And right. the day he was supposed to, the day before he went back, we went to see a show at the Carib, and Junjo Laws was there.
1: Wow, Junjo Laws. So.
0: And I went backstage with uh, with Horace and Freddie McKay, who we were living with, to say hello. And Junjo saw me. He said, well, "Who is this guy? What is he doing here?" Mm-hmm. And they uh, they said he's a very good guitar player from America. And Junjo says, "Bring him to Channel One tomorrow." Oh wow! So I went to Channel One, and I walk in there with my guitar. And my father had made me this pedal board out of wood. My father was a very good amateur carpenter. And in those days, hardly anybody, even in America, had pedal boards. So I was kind of unique having a pedal board.
1: How awesome I is that? In,
0: I walk into Channel 1. Everybody's giving me the fisheye, except for this wonderful man, to you know, Winston Bowen, a.k.a. Bo Peak.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I know but, Bo P.
0: Right. So all these people are in the control room, Roots Let Radix is recording. It's the best-sounding reggae I've ever heard in my life. I can't believe that I'm in Jamaica and listening to this session.
1: What a dream come and, true, huh? Wow. Right?
0: Just to get in the studio, just to actually be in the studio. And yeah. I had all the Channel One albums and everything. So I was, you know, well, You
1: were well-versed you were, you were well in what they were doing.
0: Well, I thought I was. <laughs> well, I, I, you, you knew the music
1: that they were playing.
0: Right, that's true. But what I didn't realize then was how fast they did it. Because I, I was used to, in America, you know, rehearsing for six months and, you know, your, your top 40 sets, you know, five sets a night. And then right. getting an age of going out and getting gigs. Yeah. And we did it in light very quickly. We did it in a day, basically, with some overdubs. Wow. But that, Horace and I, Horace at least showed me the songs before we went in. And, and what was going on at Channel One was totally different. A singer would go in, he would gesticulate, the musicians would do some stuff that sounded like random noise, then somebody would count something in, all of a sudden it would sound like a tune, and two takes later it was a tune. And then another singer would come out and they'd do the same thing. And they were doing three or four of these things an hour. And I'm going, this is impossible. This is how, there's no music. How are they doing this? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I walk into channel one and Bo P, nobody's saying anything really. And Bo P looks at me and goes, hello, I am Bo P. He sticks out his hand. What is your name? And I tell him, yeah, I'm Andy Basford. I'm from, I'm from Connecticut. And he goes, it's nice to meet you. What is that thing under your arm? It's the pedal board, you know, with yeah. the, the AC cord dangling down and everything. Yeah. So so I start showing him what everything does. Because Bo
1: P's a guitar player, too. Yes. Yeah.
0: And that was the key to everything that happened was the guitar players accepted me.
1: Very cool. Very you know, cool.
0: The, so all of a sudden, instead of me being this weird stranger, Bo P and I are talking about gear. And he had such stature there that the fact that he was welcoming... And that he was treating me as though I had something to offer him.
1: Yeah, fellow musician, so, as a, you're you treated yeah, as your so, equal.
0: Right. The whole the whole tone of the thing changed, and you know, it was it went from being extremely uncomfortable. Oh, believe to
1: believe me, believe me. I, I've been to Jamaica a bunch of times. I've been like the only light skinned person around or whole, a whole bunch around a whole bunch of Jamaicans. You're the you're definitely get, getting looked at and ogled and just studied The whole thing, you know what I'm saying? So it, it's it's definitely a little unnerving sometimes.
0: It, you know, and it's uh, I wasn't I wasn't surprised by it really, but uh, right, right. You, know, you were used to it hard, by then. Still hard to handle if you're not used to it. Yeah. So, anyway, after a few songs, uh, Junjo says uh, Johnny guitar, go in there and string up. So I go into Channel One, and you know it's Roots Radix Soul is the other guitar, Soul Radix and Gladdy, Anderson and Winston Wright and Style and Flava
1: and Bingy. Yeah.
0: And, and uh, I think the sky juice on that one, but Sticky was. There were different guys they used, but I think that day it was Skyjuice. Okay. So we're tuning it. You know, we're tuning up, and my first shock is that the piano is not tuned to the same pitch as the organ because nobody tunes the piano. <laughs> but do I tune, to, do I tune to the piano or the organ? And then like, "Why are you asking this?" Oh man,
1: so I mean, how I funny!
0: Mean you can actually tell those Channel One records because if the piano and the organ are playing in the same register. You can hear how out of tune the piano is. It's almost like a signature.
1: Oh, wow, <laughs> how intense.
0: So, so I'm trying to figure out how to you know, how to tune up, and then Winston Wright is waiting for me to get ready. He noodles something, and I play it back at him, and he perks up his ears. So he plays something else, and I play back at him, and he, we jam a little bit, and all, he's going, oh, okay, you're not deaf. That's good. So <laughs> then Barrington Levy comes in, and Winston says, okay, it's time to get to work. So Barrington starts singing this tune, and Gladys finds the chords. And I'm looking baffled, and Flabba says, just play what I'm playing. So I did that, and we did a take, and I said, I think I could do it better. And everybody says, shh, shh, and all right, man. So then I <laughs> stop and and the same thing happens. I, I'm i baffled. Flabba says, follow me. I follow Flabba. And then Bopee comes back out and says, okay, I'll take over now. And I go back in. And it's sort of like being hit by a bus. I played two songs with Root Radics at Channel One, and I have Man. no idea what's going on. So,
1: That is crazy. Um, That's so fun.
0: So anyway, um, Junjo, long story short, um, Junjo doesn't pay me then, but we hang out for the rest of the session. The next day, he comes to idle his rest and looks for me and says, Johnny Guitar, here's your money. I have more work for you. He says, You're going to stick around, right? I said, Yeah. He says, I have more work for you. Stick around.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it.
0: That was the first day at Channel One. And then I started hanging out at Isler's Rest, which is this very dubious alley uh, between Randy's and Joe Gibbs then. Okay. And hanging out with Ruth Raddix all day. And I met Gregory Isaacs. And all these people were just, you know, on the corner. And I just was on the corner with them, you know, without any you know we none of us had any money and we were hoping there would be a session and we were just all on the corner together yeah and i learned more in those six, first six months i was in jamaica than i'd learned in the previous 25 years 24 years
1: amazing amazing to, you know, story about
0: greed and how to survive and how to deal with people and how to see what's what's coming yeah man and i started getting sessions i got one for joe gibbs and i hung out there i kept I, I, there was a guy down there named jimmy becker a harmonica player Mm-hmm. another American guy
2: mm-hmm. who had
0: been there before me. And he was actually in We The People before I was. And he said, always walk with your guitar. People respect musicians here. Nobody's going to steal it. If anything, they're going to ask you to play it for them. I, I don't think it's that way anymore, but it was then.
1: Right. I hear you.
0: And and that was the best advice I ever got, because when I started walking with my guitar and going to the studios, I started getting work. Very and, cool. Uh and they, you know, I did it at Joe Gibbs, and I had all the Joe Gibbs records, and that was really where I wanted to play, because they, they and Channel One were my favorite studios as a listener. And I just hung out long enough that Errol finally got fed up and said, what do you do? And I said, I play the guitar. He says, come by tomorrow, I'll give you an audition. So the audition was, uh, If I Follow My Heart on the Foul Play album. Uh, first A&M album with Dennis. That was my audition. What you hear on the record is one take and one punch. Wow. Wow. I heard, he said, I, you know, that I, I, it was a magical day. I took the guitar out of the case. It was in tune. He put the track up. I heard the music right away. He said, um, play some fills, and I want a solo. And, and I, everything that you hear on the record is what I played.
1: Amazing. The only punch
0: was because I didn't know where the solo was. So." <laughs> So we wow. punched and I got the solo and I went out and he said that's great and um and he wrote me a little script and he said I have more work for you if you, you stick around. So that was that was it and I started playing the studios and then I went to north the north coast for five weeks with a hotel band and did that so I got to play with the fire eaters and the, the dancers and all stuff. Wow and then Fun. At, after six months the guys in culture asked me to do a tour with them. Oh wow. Um and come back to America but the plane tickets didn't come for me or anybody in the band and they went up there and used an American band and then Lloyd Parks asked me to join We The People
2: Amazing. and
0: I went home for Christmas I said yes absolutely um, so I went home for Christmas and saw my parents and they said okay you had your Jamaican experience right I said no I'm going back I got a job he <laughs> got a job you're going back I said yeah I'm playing with one of the best bands in the country
1: yeah for Sure, uh, they were—they definitely uh, were the best band in the country at the time.
0: The, yeah, they—they hmm. were—they were really the pace setters. You know, Dean Fraser was in it, Bubba was in it, Bo Pe Nambo, Chico. We're, ta- uh, we're talking Eddie about Nam- Lloyd
1: Parks and We the People band. Lloyd
0: Parks and We the People. You know, well, Joe Gibbs and the Professionals basically was Lloyd Parks and We the People. Okay. Basically, most the and Bobby did some stuff, but a lot of the records were We the People. So these are the guys that I wanted to be with, and I was with them. Amazing. And I couldn't have been happier. It was just amazing. And they they taught me so much. They they tortured me unmercifully because I was the new guy and I didn't understand Patois very well. And, <laughs> and I, I wasn't particularly socially adept then. So they really <laughs> gave me a hard time. But woe to anybody who tried to mess with me who wasn't in the band.
1: Right. For sure. For sure. They're very loyal. And
0: then, then, and then A&M signed Dennis, you know, unbeknownst to me, and then six months later, we were touring with De- Dennis, uh, you know, for A&M Records, and then everything just accelerated. People saw me with Dennis. The session calls accelerated. Um, you know, we were just really, really busy for five years, and then the uh, I got married, and then we got pregnant, and then the drum machine came in, and... We the, the original We the People split up, and a lot of the original guys went off to form 809. And it was kind of a crossroads for me because I had a drum machine. I was starting to get session calls on the drum machine. Oh wow! And because I, I, you know, Sly had one, and a couple other Peter Ashburn had one, and I had one, and Winston Wright, I think, had one. Okay. And I could see I could see that it was going to change the way that we made records. And I was really a purist then. That wasn't what I came to Jamaica to do. Right and all my friends were drummers, and I go, I can stay here and put my friends out of work, or I can go back to America and play rock and roll again. Right. So that's kind of what I decided to do. I gave Lloyd notice, which was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life because the guy was so good to me. Sure. And he was really like I tell people he was my musical father. My real father was wonderful, but he was the furthest thing from a musician. It was really with Lloyd Parks that I learned professionalism. And on the road, and how to run a band, and how to run a rehearsal, and all these things that I use all the time now. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the band taught me a bunch of stuff, but really, Lloyd showed me what a band leader is. Spoken. He was the man. I, he's the man. He still is. The yeah, he still, still is the man. Twenty-five years later.
1: Yeah, he's still playing. He's still doing great stuff. I just saw him. Right. I, I just and saw him interview soul. with uh, on on stage with Winfred Williams just like last week, two weeks ago.
0: Right. So they just had their 45th uh, anniversary. I think a couple of weeks ago or 44th something like that and you know so that was the best possible learning situation because that band backed everybody right. and then we played dances in the country and we the second set would be the history of reggae in reverse we'd start from whatever was on the radio and work our way backwards through Rocksteady and then scat and end with o carolina and of course it was Kiss me, Ross, Bumbo Claw, excuse my language. <laughs> it's okay. Everybody would sing the real words out the country, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so I learned these tunes on the bandstand. Crazy. And when I wasn't learning the tunes on the bandstand, I was listening to the oldies shows and just trying to absorb everything about Jamaican guitar that I could. And, and then I was recording all the time, so it was really total immersion in the music and living there. And, Amazing story, man. You know, playing with the best musicians of the era. So I went back to America, and I thought I was going to be in rock and roll again. And another long story short, uh, they owed me $500 from the last tour. That, again, that's the story. Copeland, Copeland, right? Copeland, yeah. Copeland Forbes had borrowed $500 from me to get us out of a jam, which was a serious jam.
1: When you were on tour with Dennis Brown.
0: Yes, this is with Dennis Brown, Gregory Isaacs, and Third World—the first American reggae sunsplash tour in
1: 1985. So, so, so Copeland borrows $500 from you to keep the tour going. He owes you $500. Right. Bucks. You don't know if you're ever going to get the money again.
0: Right. Then I find out they're playing the South Forum, which is now the Theater at Madison Square Garden. So I, I call. You know, those guys always used to call me. So they call me as soon as they get to New York, and I go, "Is Copeland there?" And they said, "Yes." And I said, "Okay, I'm coming down. Put me on the list." My name gets all left off the list, but Robbie Shakespeare sees me and basically bullies the guard into letting me in. <laughs> I go backstage, and Copeland sees me, and he goes, Andy, I have your money. And he, he, we go in the other room, and he pays me. And then he says, and then I go back and say hello to everybody, and they say, where's your guitar? We're about to go on. And I go, do you want me to play? They go, yeah. And really, I thought awesome. I was done with reggae in 1985. You know, when I came back in '85, I thought I was done. Wow. And here I is, 86, and they asked me to play with them again. And it worked out that they had to go on before I could go home and get a guitar, but they said, we want you back. So for the next three years, I played with Dennis, wherever he was.
1: Amazing.
0: And I sort of commuted, and then he decided he was going to go to Ethiopia for six months, and Toots called. And so Toots, Toots Toots worked more than Dennis. He didn't pay as well at the time, but he worked all the time. and. I had a baby and stuff, and I was, you know, I needed to work. All right, so you went and played so, with Toots. And that lasted 20-something years. Oh, wow. And then and then after a couple of years, Derek called me to play with Sagittarius and Yellow Man on a couple of American tours that happened to occur during downtime with Toots. So I was playing with Toots, and I was playing, playing with Yellow with Man.
1: Yellowman, Sagittarius Man. The,
0: then those then are like Coxin's the best Town. bands ever. For for reggae and and, and
1: ragamuffin dance hall and stuff.
0: You know, the the Sagittarius and We the People. I mean, people have their favorites, but they were the two best. They they are.
1: are The the originals. Foundation.
0: Right.
1: Foundation reggae music, man.
0: So also, um, Coxon was up in New York at that point. You know, he'd kind of left Jamaica behind. He went back occasionally. But basically, he was operating out of New York. And I went in there to do a session with Winston Grennan. And after the session, he said, look, you do session work. And I started laughing. I said, that's all I did in Jamaica. And he goes, well, uh, I need a guitarist. Would you work for me? I said, sure. So wow. I ended up working for him from about 86, 87 until a week or two before he passed.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: And a lot of that work was replicating things that were recorded on two tracks so he could mix dub albums. What he would have me do was... Try to play back the original parts as close as I could to whoever had played them. And he had some of he had like the original bass, and he eventually gave me the original guitar amp from Studio One, which I have. Oh wow! And so we had some of the like the real gear. He had the old microphone, so he would have me sit sit down and listen to these old tunes and try to play the bass exactly like Baga or Brian Atkinson or whoever had played it back in the Bagger day. Bagger Brown.
1: We're talking about Bagger Brown, yeah.
0: Uh, but no, Baga Walker. Bagga Walker. Bagel Brown is an MC guy. Um, okay. Brian Atkinson, or who's the other one? Boris Gardner. There were a few of them, you know.
1: Didn't Bagel so, play with um, uh, Style Scott in the, in the dub syndicate?
0: He might have. Um, he he used to play with Black Uhuru. He played with Black right. Uhuru for a while. He played with Jimmy Cliff for a while. He, he and Pablo Black used to do a lot of things together, and they worked for okay. Cox for a while.
1: Yeah, Pablo. Um, yeah, man, awesome.
0: Yeah, he's one of so the those,
1: first one of the first Jamaicans I ever met with Pablo oh, Black.
0: Good guy, you I I always loved working with him. I both of them. Very a lot cool, of
1: very cool, very cool dude. Now, so, uh, amazing, uh, amazing uh, history, amazing history. Andy, we could go on for on a long, long time. But let's talk a little bit about your brand new record that you just released last year, "The Heart of They Strum." It's all based okay, sure. from, from from the movie that you went to in your freshman college, when you freshman or sophomore in college. It took you to this little whirlwind of uh, experience with Jamaicans and Jamaican music and recording with all the greats and meeting all the greats and all that stuff. Excuse me. Meeting all the greats and all that stuff. And then now you just produced your own album with you fronting it. It's an instrumental album of The Harder They Come, right? Tell us more about it.
0: Okay. um, Just to sum up the career thing really quickly, after after the Twitch thing ended, Monty Alexander called me, and I've been working with him last week. So... That was, it's an amazing gig. It's a jazz slash reggae band that switches seamlessly from one idiom to the other in the middle of a song. And it's, it's great fun. He's and amazing. He's amazing. With him. Yeah, he's, he's just, he's just a genius and he's a great guy to work for. Wow. So I've been doing that. And then um, I decided I was going to do my own record. And originally I just recorded Rivers of Babylon. Basically it was a, a drop for a radio station And I thought, if I'm going to record 10 seconds, I might as well record the whole thing. I put it out on uh, TuneCore just as a single to see what would happen, like an acoustic version of it. Mm -hmm. And some people bought it. And I said, oh, oh, okay, cool. (laughs) So then I thought, what else do I want to record? And the next thing I wanted to record was Many Rivers to Cross, because I used to play it in various bands in clubs, and it would always go over. All right. I thought, oh, well, I know I know people like the way I play that live, so that should be the next thing. So I then I thought again, and I said, well, if I'm going to record two songs from that album, I already recorded one. If I'm thinking about a second, maybe I should just redo the whole album.
1: Very and cool idea.
0: I think it was, nobody knows me unless they look at CDs and read four-point type, you know? But you see some video with, like, you know, refugee from a rock band backed by the drummer, you know, flailing around, I mean, people have kind of seen me, but they don't really know who I am necessarily, just know sort of that I exist.
1: I saw saw a Facebook picture today with you in it, a whole bunch of uh, black Jamaicans, and then you on the far end, on the
0: end with your guitar. Oh, that that was the... That was We the People. Peter, the late Peter Simon, actually took that picture between gigs. We had a morning gig in Mo Bay, and then we had an afternoon gig in Ocho Rios, and he caught us right outside the hotel about ten minutes before we went on stage. And, Super cool uh, I picture. I love that picture.
1: So, Super cool.
0: Uh, so anyway, the um, I thought about it and I said, well, nobody knows me, but everybody likes reggae. Knows that album. So if I redo it as guitar instrumentals and, and and one out of every 20 people who bought the original album, or original album by mine, I'll be in great shape. So I, I thought about how to do it. And I said, you know, back in the day, we recorded with everybody in the room together, at least, and it was a lot of fun. And now we do things that's kind of like word processing. You come in there and everything is there and there's a drum machine and there's keyboards and you know, in New York, a lot of times people put the music down one instrument at a time because of space limitations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so the bass player come in one day and play and then I'll come in and then keyboard player or whatever. Right, right. And I thought, you know, it was fun in the old days. We just used to get together in a room and play. It was Jim. great. And everybody, and all the records that I played on, which, you know, I don't, there are hundreds now, I guess, The ones people are asking me about all the time are the ones where we were all in the room together playing, all the Roots Radix stuff. Oh, wow. Those are the records out of everything I've played on. So I thought, well, if that's what people really like after all these years, I should make my record the same way. Maybe there's something about that way of Very cool.
1: Very cool.
0: So we did almost the entire record live. The only things that weren't live our new Kingston singing because one of them was out of town the day we cut the tracks. Okay. Everybody except Steve, the guitar player is on the record as a player. And then when Steve came into town, I went to their, their house and we did the record. We did the vocals.
1: Co- Courtney and, and the sons, other, Courtney and the sons.
0: Yeah. Co- Courtney and Tahir and Courtney, young Courtney. Yeah. And then Steve, um, who might as well be his son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, I don't know if he technically is or not, but the, um, that's what you
1: they know, say. I've never heard anything different.
0: No, that, that, as far as I, you know, their family, and I've known those guys literally since they were in the crib, so it was a blast having them on the record. How fun. And Courtney Sr. is one of my oldest friends. I met him, like, my first show in Jamaica. Oh, wow. And a, a guest appearance for the Ethiopian Orthodox Church in Linston. Wow. I, I sat in with Bongo Herman, and they the dread gave me $6 for bus fare. I was really flattered. <laughs> because <laughs> I amazing. wasn't on the bill and I wasn't in the band or anything, but he gave me $6. I was oh, like, wow. really? That's pretty cool. So I've, I've known Courtney since those days. He was playing with Cedric Brooks, and wow. we're still very close friends. We work together whenever we can. But, you know, he got really busy with New Kingston, so I don't see him much anymore. Um, so anyway, that was the thinking. Let's get everybody in the studio together like we did in the old days, and we did it even. we went even further. We got so old-school... The songs with the female singers on, at the Soul Sisters Six, we cut those live with the band. Oh wow! We, you know, the that was it. What we a cut vibe! What a vibe! It's a great, it's,
1: it's a great record, man, for sure.
0: Thank you. And I think the reason it came out so well is largely the the fact that we did everybody together, everybody together, and everybody on the record is a great player, but. When you, when you know you can fix something, when you know you can go back and overdub and fix the mistake, you let down a little bit, even if you don't mean to. Right.
1: I know what you mean. But,
0: but if you know that whatever you play is going to be on the record, and I made sure to tell everybody this before they went, and I said, we have three hours. We have three hours to get two songs. Whatever we play is going on the record.
2: <laughs>
0: First of all, everybody goes, Really? haven't done that one before, so that you've got their interest. And second of all, they step up their game, because it's, now it's like a gig. Yeah. But now it's like a really high-profile gig that's getting recorded. So everybody brought their A game, and that's what you hear on the record. How fun. You hear these really great players being challenged in a way that they're rarely challenged anymore. Super cool record. And, uh, and of course, Monty grew up doing that, as did I, and some of the guys on the record grew up doing it. But a lot of the younger guys had never done it that way before. And amazing, the women amazing. never had they were they were floored that I trusted them enough to do it, but I knew they could do it
1: of course, man. how so, fun what a great what a great, great thing. So how many tracks exact duplicate of the heart of they come?
0: It's all the same songs in the same order in the original keys
1: Wow, wow, wow
0: so, and, and it was meant to be played as an album All right. The, you know the sequencing and the arrangements and everything on it. how cool the way that people used to do when they do vinyl. I know everything is Spotify and playlists and buying your favorite individual tune, but, and that's fine. I mean, I'm happy if somebody just likes one song on it and buys it, that's great for, you know, I'm I'm thrilled. But the thing to me was if you want to listen to it as a listening experience, like we did back in the day when people would, you know, open up the, uh,
1: Oh the, the double album. The double albums, and listen to it: side one, side two, side three, side four, right in a row. Right. Oh. And, you know, and
0: you're, and you're, you're cleaning. People are cleaning the weed on the album cover and reading the liner notes. No, uh, exactly. It's kind of a. Uh, it's kind of a throwback to that way of listening to music, and since that was the way we listened to it, you know, we listened to albums and we just poured over them like they were the Bible. You know, we. Oh
1: man, it's so fun.
0: Um, it, you get to know every scratch in your own record.
1: Mm-hmm. And.
0: And I thought, for the people that really like that stuff, you can listen to it that way. And I put really extensive credits on it for people who care about that stuff, because I do. Yeah. And I got this wonderful artist named Earth who used to draw Sonic the Hedgehog for Marvel.
1: Oh, wow. Very cool. And he now plays
0: keyboard for Junior Marvin.
1: Oh, wow. Great,
0: great guy. Great artist. And I said, I want you to redo the cover, but put me in there instead of Jimmy Cliff. And he went nuts. He couldn't believe it. You know, I said, "I want cartoons." He goes, yeah. "You got the right guy." So he worked for weeks on that cover. He just kept sending me things. Everything looked better than the time before. Well, that, that's, that's
1: gonna be the cover of your interview on the on the on the website. <laughs>
0: right. So 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 if you uh, there's actually a commercial on uh, my YouTube channel that I did with Lord. Simone Gordon, one of the singers on the record, who actually you know went to acting school. And uh, she, I said, can you imitate a sexy Jamaican? She said, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see the cover on the, on the YouTube thing if you don't want to. You know, you can see it online. CD Baby has the record. It's on all the digital sites. You can buy the album through my website. Uh, then VP approached me, you know, the big distribution company, and they have it available.
1: Oh, how awesome.
0: And, and now it's gone to the jam band people. I always thought that the reggae audience and the jam band audience should coexist, mm-hmm. and some of those people used to come to Toots shows, but none of the reggae groups ever made a step toward jam band land, really. No. And those people come to our shows, so after I had marketed it to the traditional Jamaican radio and so on, uh, I'm working with a company called Lee's Homegrown Music, and they're trying to get it out to the jam band community and jam band radio. Because I think with the long extended instrumental solos, it's something, and the fact that they have, most of those people know the record or at least know toots. Yeah. I thought, let me see if it can go to those people too. Maybe they'll like it. I don't know, but my feeling is that, you know, I'm really proud of it, and I think
1: it's an amazing. It's really cool. Somebody
0: you like really likes music would like it if they get a chance to hear it. So it's now my job to try to get people to hear it.
1: Yeah, no, no. We're going to we're I'm going to we're going to play some here on Bob Radio. We can get it in there and uh do some features. Maybe we'll do it on, on even on the on the big Sunday show too, man, cuz it's really really cool stuff. You know, it's been an honor and a pleasure talking to you. I love your history. We we we've talked for about a couple hours now, between me and you uh, getting this interview all nice. And it's you you've sifted it down. I think you need to write a book about your whole career and uh so I, think the, I think it would I think would The
0: book is coming this year. I I've, I've been talking about it forever. Okay, I'm not getting any younger, and really, the, it took me three years to get the record out. It took 30 hours to record, and it. it took me three hours, uh, three years. Sorry to to mix to, to it and produce it and, it and to get, get it all out myself up about it. But um, now that the album is out and people can hear the musical story, it, I think it's time to get the actual history on you know on it's recorded because. A lot of the people I worked with aren't here anymore and they told me stuff that I think people ought to know about what they did as well as what I did
1: yeah man so, I mean I, it's, it's, it's such a great great story now we talked about I mean the story about you getting from college to the record store i love that whole story there's a whole another another hour to talk about that To kind of what you're what you went through and and the personality that you met at the stores and getting your first record and how you got tipped off to even going to the record stores and all that stuff so much history is there, man, and we're gonna have to continue some other time because we're coming up on forty minutes on this interview. <laughs> oh God, I, I, I was
0: trying to limit it to nine. Good luck with we me.
1: Are, we have no. We're, I'm gonna keep the whole the whole interview in its entirety. We're gonna play it just like we have it right here, right now. And Andy, it's been a, <laughs> it's a it's, it's a it's a great it's a great little vibe. It's a great album. Again, it's called of Day Strum" by Andy Bassford. Uh, a, virtuoso guitar player that got turned on to Jamaican music and toured with all the greats, met all the greats and produced his own album. Yeah, man.
0: Wow. Okay. Thank, Carlos, thank you so much. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's an honor to be asked about this stuff. I'm glad I remember most of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's an amazing story. I love, I want to hear more. I want to read the book and, um, you know, we wish you the best and we're going to support you, Andy.
0: I really appreciate that. And, to anybody who's listening and enjoys it, many, many, many thanks. And to anybody who's ever paid hard-earned money to see me play, even more thanks, because that's why I'm still here.
1: Yeah, man. All right, I'm going to stop right there. That's officially over. So we just say, "Okay, um, cool." Yeah, man. <clears throat> um, wow, well, I, I must have seen you play because I've seen Dennis, I've seen Toots uh, for the last 25 years. So I, I definitely have seen you play. I don't know Twiggy is, Any, and some of the guys the, in the Twisters band. You're in San Diego, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, we played we played the belly up every freaking tour. Sometimes, oh yeah, I was there with Mike every Keisha.
1: I was good friends with Great Mike Keisha. Club. Good, good friends with Mike Keisha.
0: Oh, what a lovely man! Yeah, I was really and good and he was the one that you know he he was the one that uh, had me tour with Culture, you know.
1: Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. He's he was a great. He told me when he moved in next door to Gregory Isaac. I I know his whole story too, man. He's like another character, another character.
0: Oh, he he was so far into it, and he was you know, uh, as, as I'm sure you know, he had this wonderful business. And when he was in college, he was one of the first people to realize that it was a good idea to videotape bands. <laughs> I, he and a friend, I guess, had a video camera, and they just got this idea. Uh, let's go to the bands and ask if we can videotape their show. And this is the early 70s. You know, nobody was doing this. Mike's a little older than I am. Yeah. And he said, we thought it would be really difficult, but it turned out that all, almost all the people we asked were, were really excited about the idea that we would videotape them.
2: And